Welcome to the podcast, Last Ones at the Bar, where we get together for an hour or so to discuss the sweet science, and to discuss the sweet science is just what we're going to do. My name is William Henry, and I'm joined by two fellas who help to inspire me each week to discuss these topics, predict and recap bouts, and that is the top two bananas. You know, you got the 313 representative and a heart and soul of 757, Danny Lee, you know, when he's not in Atlanta. How you doing, folks? Doing great, actually, man. Just, just here with, with, with my brothers, man, talking about this boxing like we normally do. Uh, this, this is my highlight of the week. Yes, sir. I'm feeling good myself. How you feeling, Will? Oh, man, I'm, I'm all smiles, you know what I mean, from ear to ear. You know, I, I kind of uh, in the process of finalizing this big trip. You know I like to travel. So in the latter part of July, um, I got something big coming up. I'm just trying to figure out which place I want to go to. One could be like huge, and then the other one's a place that I've been to before, but it's a couple of other stops that I'll make, you know, if I decide to go in that direction. So I'm just all about smiles, man. You know what I mean? Looking forward to that. And then also looking forward to having these discussions, man, you know. How was your fellas week, though? What were you up to? A lot of my week was getting ready for the next week or so because I'm traveling to see my brother, you know, for a good amount of next week, you know. And so when I knew I'm going to be out of town, I try to look ahead and, you know, knock some stuff out in advance. So it was busier than it normally would have been for that reason, but it was good. I had uh, some good training on a Brazilian jiu-jitsu mat. And um, it was good, man. Yeah, for me, it's just business as usual. You know, uh, working a job, uh, still trying to, to stay healthy and, and keep my workouts going. Um, but I, I, I can't complain. I'm blessed. You know, I share those same sentiments. And Danny, like you, you mentioned, even though what I'm talking about is going to be a little bit later in July, I was doing the same thing where this is like really the first full week that I had. And so I ended up doing a lot of things that I had neglected before. Um, like I, I put together like an ambitious to-do list and I was able to get all of those things done on that to-do list. But it just felt good, man. Like when you have that time off, you know, I can get up in the morning every day, read a chapter of a book that I'm interested in, which I did that this week, and then also get those workouts in. And then, you know, like I said, handle any business that I want to take care of, you know, and you pretty much done by noon, come back, you know, I'm getting up there in A, so I get my little nap in, you know, get back up and then finish some more work. You know what I mean? So excellent week for me. Um, what I do want to ask you is this, is that, you know, we've been doing this probably like two weeks, I know since the pandemic, you know, we've been doing this uh, boxing podcast and you guys got a lot on your plate, you know, and my question I have for you is, you know, what, what, you know, provokes you to do a podcast each and every week discussing the sweet science? You know, you guys are bigger fans of the sport than I am, and you guys have the history. But for me, you know, it's kind of like, you know, back in the day, you would look forward to getting up with your guys on a weekend. You know what I mean? Or, you know, on that Friday or that Thursday at the bar or something like that. And so for me, part of it is, you know, a constant, you know, knowing that I'm going to maintain this, you know, relationship in this capacity a little. So some of it is that, 
uh, combined with my, uh, you know, enjoyment of the sport and my respect of the craft and also the ability to, to create and put out content. I'm very expressive. You know what I mean? I write and, you know, this has opened up some other lanes for me too, in terms of podcasting. So it's sort of a mixed bag for me and it allows me to sort of spread my wings in a creative capacity. Hey, for me, it's just, I, I can't sing or dance. So I'm doing boxing podcasting, <laughs> but for real though, for real, uh, you know, boxing is one of those things. I always say as a fan that, you know, boxing didn't choose. I didn't choose boxing to be a fan of, you know, boxing chose me so I can like it. So I can love it. You know, um, I mean, of course, just like with any other, I followed it like any other sport growing up and, it just for some reason, it just I just started getting attached to it. It was like addictive, you know, and it's nothing better than, than to be, you know, talking with, you know, other gentlemen who, you know, share the same passion. Uh, y'all brothers keep me very, very sharp. Like sometimes I'm like, man, I, I, I got to try to keep up because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I don't claim to be an expert on, on, on many things like that. Like, for example, uh, I was I was part of a, another podcast it was a horror movie podcast actually where we, it was a trivia game about halloween which i was sure i was gonna win <laughs> because i'm you know i'm like that when it comes to horror films man this one cat just kept getting me man and, and i came in second you know but but at the same time it kept me sharp you know it, it, it keeps my brain working you know i like my you know to keep that those neurons you know uh moving um, and so I just, I just, I just look forward to, you know, talking boxing with you guys and, and helping me stay sharp on it and, and just enjoying the love of the sport. Yeah, for me, this is something that I, I would do anyway, right? So I go to the gym in the morning time and it's a few fellas in there. As soon as we see each other, that's the first thing we talk about. Oh man, you see Devin Haney. I don't think uh, Tank Davis. You know, you know, little stuff like that. So we have like little different discussions. Or um, uh, it's a guy that I see. He'll keep referencing older fighters. Like, no, they don't fight like um, Aaron Pryor and so on, so on and so forth. So this is something that I'll do anyway, right? And when we text each other, you know, we we, we talk about boxing or what what it is that we see. So I figure in some capacity we will be doing this anyway. So why not just open up an hour or so? one day to chop it up about something that we all probably are watching and checking out, you know, and breaking it down, you know, to, based on our perspectives of what we see, you know. And so I, I figured that we'd be doing this anyway. The other things is, is boxing just within itself. I, I just fell in love with, with fighting, you know, early. Like, I, I think that boxing is like the most purest, the most, um, the realest sport. You know what I mean? Because you can have other sports, for instance, basketball, football. That's something that those are games to me, right? Where you got different rules and regulations. The sport of boxing to me is the most purest because that's something that human beings typically do, right? If you get into it with somebody, it can break out into a fight. And so then and everybody's interested in that fight for the most part. You know, oh, so-and-so was doing this. You see how fast he was? And so it's just something just natural that ends up happening, especially your inner cities and stuff like that. You grew up and then people want to know who could fight. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. But I like boxing because obviously, you know, it's just a, it's a, um, a paid sport. You know what I mean? And you have guys who 
could fight like an Oscar De La Hoya, that he'd never been in a fist fight before. But you see how good of a boxer that he was and how he ended up having a Hall of Fame type career and being one of the cash cows in the sport of boxing. So it's a it's an art and it's a craft too as well. Now, um, I've been loving the sport, man, since I can remember. Like the first time that I saw it, I don't know if I actually saw the Montreal Olympics, but I do vividly remember seeing guys like Leon Spinks, um, Howard Cosell talking about down goes Sarita or something like that he was saying. But I just remember Sugar Ray Leonard and those guys. I don't know if they were showing highlights of it, but I just vividly remember those Olympics. And I vividly remember Sugar Ray when he was, you know, coming up through the ranks after, um, you know, the Olympics. He won the gold medal. But I remember the 84 Olympic team, you know, loving, you know, like throughout the 80s, guys like Leonard, Hearns, Hagler, Holmes, Camacho, Livingston Bramble, Matthew Saad Muhammad, you know, the list goes on. I remember even guys like Marlon Stark, you know? Um, and also for me, what really, my, my, my family used to be into the sport of boxing. Allow me to ramble a little bit, folks, because this is, I, I really appreciate us even um, talking about this. Because, like I said, this is huge. Because for me, growing up, not only like in my family, I remember Dooku Kim. I decided to be like ninety or eighty something, eighty one. He got knocked. He got killed. And I remember my cousin Todd came over and he was discussing it. And we had a lengthy discussions about that uh, fight card that had Lenny Bramble on there and had um, what's my man name? Um, it, it was some other guys on there on there too. But you know, just. My family was, was really to the sport. We used to go on Michigan Street where my sister lived and we used to go see fights on HBO because we didn't have HBO, so we had to go over here and see fights. And I remember Livingston Brown, we got knocked out by every Edward Rosario after commercial fights, all of that stuff we used to see over there. Larry Holmes fights, June 9th, he's fighting against uh, the big, uh, what's the big guy he, he fought? Uh, Kumi, you know what I mean? Like, I remember all of those, those, those fights, man. And then for me, as I got a little bit older, then I started going to see fights myself. When I lived in Iowa, I wanted to see the fights that I didn't see Michael Second or not, but I saw other guys who were fighters in that area. You know what I mean? When I went to live in Mississippi for a while, I remember in Biloxi, I went to go see Roy Jones. I was so much of a fan that one, it was September 10th of that year, I went to go see Derek Smoke Gainer down there three hours away, went to go see him fight, you know what I mean? So just that type of passion. And, and, and when I was down there, it was huge fight fans. We used to have those discussions all the time. And you see Roy Jones, you see, you know, uh, this fight, and it broke my heart, you know, when I saw him lose against Antonio Taro. I'm gonna land this plane in a second, so just give me, you know, bear with me, you know what I mean? So also what I like about this too, is this, right? Is that you can have discussions and you hear different people's perspectives on fighters that they like, people who come from different backgrounds, and you, you, you hear people with those perspectives. Then lastly, what you can do is you can challenge people because it's a lot of racism that's involved in boxing as well. You got people who, and I'm gonna give you an example of what I'm saying. And you, you can always sense it when these people, they contradict themselves, right? So some of the things that they'll do, they'll praise certain guys. Let's say, for instance, a guy, you'll, you'll, you know, I'm in different boxing groups, and you'll see guys, well, Conor McGregor, you know what I mean? They like him for being so arrogant and brash. But then they claim that they hate Floyd Mayweather for being the same way. You know what I mean? 
And then you'll see people who marvel at people like Lomachenko, his skills. And, and, but you have black fighters who do the same thing and they call them more, right? And then they'll say like derogatory names and terms for black fighters and only speak of, speak of white fighters, you know, with honor and valor. For instance, if you say something less than flattering about a Lomachenko or Golovkin, they'll say, man, watch your mouth, man. You know, respect all fighters. He's a warrior. You know, I'd like to see you in the ring with him, say that to his face. I'm like, dude, I just say you're overrated. Like, why is that such a big thing? But they'll openly say derogatory things like windmill wilder, you know what I mean? Um, chicken Mayweather, gay weather, flamos, and, and um, I was, I po we posted something, I posted something about the first chills, and one guy took it, all he could say is, she can't be Savannah Marshall, but he wasn't calling it coercion shoes, he was calling it baby slaps. And so anytime I would try to come back and say, well, and I never say anything derogatory about Savannah Marshall, I was just keeping it, you know, objective. And so he just had all of these derogatory, you know, words and stuff to say about the system. And so I just like to have those conversations to see where people stand. And that lets me know when you have people who conduct themselves that way in this sport, just imagine how they are in the fields that they're in, how they use that if they're in a position of power. So I just, all of those things is the reason why I love to talk about sport and I just love the sport in general. And so, um, yeah, 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 that's my response. Anything else you guys have before we get off into these topics? No, sir. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and, and go to San Antonio, the Riverwalk. You had a star that, that, that rose yesterday. You had my main man, Bam Rodriguez. He was taking on a wily veteran, a power punch and sword rumba side out of Tyler. What did you think about Bam yesterday, Phil? So, Bam, he passed the test of Carlos Quadras. But the question was, was he going to pass the next step of cigarette? Sarungvasai, and he aced it. I give him an A plus. What happened last night? Um, because I, I expected this fight to be a little bit closer in, in certain spots, um, but, but right out of the, the the gate, I think Bam pretty much was he, he kind of was was taming uh, Sarungvasai uh, from the start of this fight. Now Sarungvasai, he did come out aggressive like he was, and he made he kind of made the mistake. I mean he made a mistake of, of believing in his power too much and not really having a, a plan B. Uh, so he was definitely, I mean, the one good thing he was trying to do was go to uh, Rodriguez body, you know, and, 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 and land punches all on his arms and, and, and gloves. And even though those punches weren't landing, I guess, uh, Masai, he thought that they would have an effect eventually down the stretch, but they didn't. I think Bam really prepared for that. And he was taking those, those, uh, those flurries pretty, pretty well. And he was countering uh, Sarung Masai very, very effectively, you know, countering to the head. Uh, he was even going to the body, you know, at times. Uh, his jab was on point. I mean, he was moving around the ring effectively. Um, I mean, really, I, the only round that I thought that uh, Sarung Masai pretty probably won was maybe the first round, and that was it just off of just activity and him trying and, and, and Bam really trying to figure him out. But once Bam started to figure him out, he was just edging him, you know, edging him, edging him in the round three and round four. And then he, he started really uh, stepping it up. And, 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 and once he started backing, uh, so run side back, I, I believe around, I think in the, 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 the fifth round, I think, it, I think 
uh, that's when the tide really, really started to turn a little bit. Yeah, so Rungside, you can, you, can, you can see him getting frustrated. And uh, just the look on his face is like, I don't know if I'm going to win this fight, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to go out with my shield. And, and um, keep. so Rungside went down from a, a left hook while he was trading with uh, Rodriguez in the seventh round. Um, and, then, you know, Rungside got up, and Bam was really, really just putting it on him. Uh, and then in the eighth round, once uh, Rodriguez started to back him up, Back, so Rungwasai up like uh, where so Rungwasai was really really like going backwards as, as in terms of him being hurt. I knew this fight was over. Uh, then Rodriguez just started bust out in, in a, a fury where he was just throwing the kitchen sink at uh, so Rungwasai and, and the referee caught it off. Now Ben Rodriguez he he improves to uh, sixteen and zero with eleven knockouts. So Rungwasai uh, falls to fifty and six and one. Um, and it was it was definitely a powerful performance. It was a star making performance. Uh, I, I definitely find it interesting where he goes from here because um, him and his trainer uh, Robert Gar- Garcia, who was a trainer that you know I liked a lot, uh, they expressed interest in going down in weight because he's a pretty much a three weight you know champion. Uh, they they want him to go down to one twelve. Maybe he isn't hasn't filled out at one fifteen as much yet, and he was just taking these fights as they were becoming available and the opportunity presents itself. Um, but he's, he's, but it, the question was, remained, was he going to fight a uh, Roman Gonzalez? Was he going to fight a, a Juan Francisco Estrada? And I, I appreciate the, the humility of uh, Rodriguez pretty much saying that I'll leave that to my brother and I'll go down and rule 112. Even though I might not agree with it, I thought it was, you know, very classy of him to, to, to say that. I mean, very excited to see what's going to come with him in the future and, and look forward to seeing him in his next fight. Star making performance by Ben. Um, people, we got, we, we, we got, we got a star on the rise. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's here. You know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of what he's going to do, you know, with all the talent that he has. This is the youngest champion in boxing. He's taking on tough challenges like a sore run beside. I don't know anybody around, remotely around that age who is that, who has those type of garoons. I'm talking about, this era of boxing. Now, maybe in the past you've had guys who've done that, but this is unheard of for this generation of guys to, to come out. And the way he goes about doing it, it's like so nonchalant. You know what I mean? What I liked about him, right, is this, is that it was a point in a fight where one of the announcers was saying that people were questioning whether or not he should be taking a fight because, you know, so a was like, I knock you out. And he said, he better be worried about me knocking him out. That's what he better be doing. And I like that type of mentality. I understand that mentality because I remember. I remember, you know, personally, for me, I remember, you know, playing basketball, right? And I remember it was people, and we had a really good team, and we played against really good teams. And it was a couple of times when we would play against guys who may have just had 50 points. They, or this guy, he's dunking on everybody. And so people would come to you. If you had to hold that person, they'd be like, oh, man, he's going to be on you. He, he's, man, you ain't gonna be able to stop him. Well, I'll tell you what, there's two sides of the court, but is he gonna be able to stop me? That's what he better be worried about. And so I understand that mentality, that dog mentality. Now, what I saw yesterday was a young man who used an excellent softball jab, uh, beautiful footwork. Man, I tell you, he's like a Ricardo Lopez, Benito Lopez, man, with that footwork. It's amazing. 
But like he's just like a ballet dancer where he can like use those angles, get on the side of you, right attack, touch you. Now, he was able to do that flawlessly yesterday against Robeside. Robeside, he has slow feet and bad balance, that's for sure. But, you know, he can knock your block off if you allow him to, you know, set his feet, which he never did. It was just, it was a mismatch in, at certain points, you know what I mean, as far as uh, him trying to get off those shots. And that probably the layoff may have hurt Robeside a little bit. Um, but, like I say, he used plenty of angles to keep Robeside off rhythm. And at the end of his KO, of his power shot. So he was just, you know, doing what he had to do whenever he wanted to do it. When you look at the punch stacks, the total punches that he landed was 233. side landed 84. He threw 430 punches. side 440. But check this out. Overall, he landed 54% of his shots. side only 19. The jab, utilizing that jab. 114 jabs that Rodriguez landed. Out of 250 thrown, that's a 48% rate. And then Romasai, he threw 175 jabs, but he only landed 12. But check this out, though. As far as the, the power landing, Bam landed 119 out of 181 punches. That's a 66% rate. And then you had Romasai, who was 72 out of 265. He only landed 27% um, of his punches. Man, the boy was landing some pinpoint combos with authority on old uh, Shore Romasai. Now, I've seen Romasai outbox before, but I've never seen him annihilate it like that. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to really think about whether or not. Now, I heard that. Again, he's a humble dude. And he said, like, I probably don't belong in the top 10 pound for pound. But I think that you have to really consider putting him in the top pound for pound rankings because of what he did to Sora Rumbaside, who had defeated Hall of Famers, man. He defeated the Shrine. He defeated uh, Chocolatito. He crushed Chocolatito. So just with that alone, and then just don't keep in mind, he just beat Carlos Quadros as well. And if you're thinking about the eye test, the skills, dude has like, he's one of the most skilled dudes that footwork. It's not many people in boxing right now who has better footwork than Bam Rodriguez. And just as, as instincts, right? Now, like I say, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to defeat the kid at this time um, because he has like, combinations, the clean punches, the southpaw jabs, and that incredible footwork. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. His brother was supposed to fight Estrada yesterday, but Estrada, they said that he's just been, you know, doing too much, backing out of fights, he's doing whatever, but they're supposed to get it on. But the fact that they're supposed to, to have that fight, I'm hoping, man, I hope that Eddie Hearn, they decide to put him in with Chuck Petito because you might want to strike when the iron's hot. I don't play the game of going up and weight coming down in weight. This dude is too skilled. If he's handling his business like this, don't be playing around like that. The guy that they're trying to fight at 112, they even talk about maybe 108. Nobody knows him. Like, it would just be getting a belt. Now, if you just want to collect the belt or whatever, then that's cool. But right now, by the iron is hot, you are just made a, a huge statement, kid. Like, why not go for the, the gusto, you know? And the other thing, like, Bam is, is, is lightweight, naive, too, but he's naive in a good way. See, with, with the thing about him, he's so talented, and you just don't know with those gifts that he has if he's going to just, like, he looks at certain people, like, he didn't, he respected him on the side. He respects these guys, but he knows he's better than them. 
Now, what if you start fighting guys who aren't even on the level of a rumble side? Like, and they said that at one point in the fight, they, they were talking about how they saw him out. And they said that they couldn't recognize him because he was so heavy. And to me, if he's doing that, and this is between a quadrus and Romasai fight. And so what happens when he's fighting somebody that he doesn't respect? Because he showed a lot of respect to Romasai. Will that catch up to him eventually? You know what I mean? Those are some of the things that I work on. And some, one thing that he mentioned in the interview after the fight, and I'll close out with this, is that he was saying how his brother kicks his butt in training. Now, that may not mean that his brother's a better fighter. That just means that his brother, see, one thing about when you either around somebody all the time or you are older than somebody, you've seen that person, you know their strengths and their weaknesses to a T because you just know them. Like, I know guys who I used to play basketball with, I would consider myself a better player. I never could tell them that. But I know that they could, they, their reach and potential was better than mine as far as like being able to go to the NBA and being a, a really good ball player there or having a career in the NBA. I, I didn't see myself like that. I saw those guys who I could, you know, if we played one-on-one, then I could get them because I just know their game. We've been around each other, we cool, you know what I mean? I just see everything about them. And that could be what it is with his brother. I, I, have, I have a brother who used to beat up everybody in a city. But my older brother, he couldn't be up older brother. My older brother used to, you know, wear him out. And so those type of things. So when he's thinking about me saying that, then I know that he has love for his brother. He wants his brother to be successful. He wants his brother is talented. And he wants his brother to get those opportunities, which is good. But at the same time, they could do the Klitschko thing where they can, you know, wipe out those guys together. You know what I mean? If that's the case. Because it's really just going to... Um, hamper Bam more so than it would his brother. You know what I mean? And I think that Eddie Hearn should really think, because it's not Robert Garcia, it's more so Eddie Hearn. And I remember Lawrence Olivia, the famous, Sir Lawrence Olivia, the famous actor, um, once said he talked about talent and he talked about um, skill. You know what I mean? And he was talking about, you can have a, a great horse but a poor jockey, right? And so I think that in this situation, using that as a reference, I'm hoping that Eddie Hearn isn't going to be the poor jockey and put him in, you know, bad situations that's not going to maximize his potential. But all in all, that was a great year by that young man, Stars Boy. Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation in that regard because there's only but so many people at that level that either of them can fight. And, you know, if you were to ask him, him being Bam, going into 2022, like, hey, what are your aspirations for boxing this year? I don't think he would have said, I want to beat Sorongvazai and I want to beat Carlos Quadras and move up to 115, you know, um, but it happened. And now he's in the same collision course as his brother. And, you know, it's just kind of a weird situation for him to be in, especially as like a, you know, a 22 year old It's like almost unheard of at this age, you know. But um, just in terms of, like, his outlook, I'm just excited as a fan. Whoever he fight next, I'm just excited to see the guy fight. Um, now, as it pertains to the fight itself, you guys talked about a lot of it already. But for me, just watching it, it seemed like Sorongwazai 
it was a little bit of him banking on Bam not being big enough and not respecting his power and kind of assuming he was going to walk and wear him down and that was going to be enough. I don't know if it was that mentally or if it was just his style and he was like, I'm going to see my style through. But Bam showed that he learned what not to do from that Quadras fight. I was saying last week when we talked about it a little bit that um, going to 12 rounds against Quadras was a blessing in disguise for him because he was prepared to go into deep waters. And, you know, that's why in the eighth round, when he noticed some of I was hurt, he was able to turn up the aggression and do what needed to be done in order to get the ref to stop it. And not only did he knock him out, but he broke his spirit. That's why I was saying a second ago that I think mentally so wrong was I may have banked on these certain assumptions in BAM because if you just go in and fight your fight, that's one thing. But if you come in with an expectation and fight your fight and you don't have a backup plan or you just realize that this person is better, that's another thing. And I think that's what surprised me the most, you know, like to me, uh, so wrong was that his body language changed and Bam took advantage of that. He was just a step quicker. He was just moving too quick for him. And this was his first time being stopped since his second pro fight in 2009. And you guys said he was also just very intent on saying that his brother was going to do what he got to do with the other guys. And so regardless of what happens, I'll just close by saying that, you know, it's pretty clear we have a start in the making. You know what I mean? And then I hope that even though we're going to see him put on more dominating performances, like I think that's pretty certain. I hope that we are going to, like they are able to find the competition to do that with in a way where both him and his brother get what's best for their career. Do you guys have anything else on this? Uh, you know, I've got to talk a little bit more about my boy, Bam. He had me moving and grooving last night. Um, it's, it's just a couple of things. One is... We just have to see what his brother does against a striker. Now, if he's really, you know, does a good job, handles his business, then I can see them. They're going. Somebody might have to sacrifice with the limited pool of opposition that they have to face. Then somebody might have to take a back seat when it comes to who's going to fight Chocolatito next. But I just think that it would be in the best interest of them to just go ahead and they can do that as a, a double header. I mean, that might be too much to put as a double header. Like you had Chocolatito versus Bam, and then you had Estrada versus his brother in San Antonio. I mean, come on, man. Like you're talking about a, a major event right there. The last thing I'm going to say is this, is that what I didn't like about Sotorumba side is, see, sometimes when you, when you look at somebody, like their reputation and appearance, that means a lot. What I don't like about Sotorumba side, because when you, when you look at him, he's, he's an intimidating fighter based on his stoic demeanor. And when they announced him, it was something, I don't know if it was when they announced him, like he, he kind of smiled and he was dancing around a little bit. I didn't like that. You know what I mean? Because it's like if you playing the, the Soviet Union hockey team back in the day. Like those dudes were just some stoic figures and they already kind of intimidated you before you even play. And so just that little stuff like that, it doesn't seem like it means that much because you still have to perform. But I didn't like that. I, I thought that he should have just kept the stoic demeanor that he customarily has and don't give any inch of confidence to your opponent. But that's the only thing I just want to add. Gotcha. I just want to reiterate really quickly 
to echo your sentiments last week, Will. This was such a good card. Um, but on the co-main, we had Marijan Akhmadaliev. He fought Ronnie Rios for two of the major world titles at the 122-pound division. How did you guys see this going? What are your thoughts? Yeah, Ronnie Rios, you know, he come into the ring with that little red beret, you know what I'm saying? Doing his thing against uh, the veteran Ronnie Rios. Ronnie Rios be looking like Oscar De La Hoya a little bit, the way he, you know, uh, positioned himself in the ring. But, you know, just to break this fight down, the first few rounds, I thought Akhmadali, he did a really good job of landing some solid jabs on Rios. And then um, that was like the first three rounds. Round four, he hurt Rios with a body shot, like really bad. And then Rios kind of gathered himself and you know, he, he kind of performed better like the last minute of the fourth round, but he was in some serious trouble with that, that body shot that Abadali had landed. And then um, Abadali, he's just landing, he was beating Rios as far as like the punch, like two to one, you know, from rounds one through six. But then Rios, somewhere, I want to say around the sixth round, he hurt his shoulder. So he couldn't throw the left hand anymore. And so, um, but from rounds one through six, Rios lost every round. Um, he was just coming forward. He had a high guard, but he just wasn't pulling the trigger. You know, maybe it was the layoff that was affecting him. Maybe it was, you know, just trying to, just being rusty. You know, I know that he had a bout with COVID that was kind of severe. You know, it took him a while to get his win and stuff back. And so maybe those things put a factor. But they said that in camp, he was doing a good job him and Bam, like Bam was really impressed with how he was looking, because that's the best we've seen him. But it just didn't transfer to the ring uh, yesterday, especially the first six rounds. So I gave Rios rounds one through six, and I even gave him the seventh round, because it, it was close. No, not Rios, I gave uh, Akhmadalia the first six rounds. And then, was it round seven? No, round seven, I did give the Rios. It was a close round, but he finally started throwing and landing some shots. And then Akhmadaliev, uh, like I said, he hurt his hand, but in rounds eight and nine, he started to shoot exclusively the right hook. And then he couldn't miss. He couldn't miss Rio's chin, you know, once he ended up in, in implementing that strategy. And then I thought Rio's in round 10, he landed the cleaner shots. And then in round 11, Akhmadaliev, he started to land that jab again. And then those right hooks, you know, didn't help Rio's' cause. And then in the 12th, in the midway point, he landed three uppercuts. Rios tried to throw a shot, but then underneath he came with an uppercut that kind of, you know, just debilitated him. And then two more, and he went down. And then Akhmadali, if he jumped right on, and then he forced referee Ramos to stop the fight. The Hawk came at two minutes and six seconds of the 12th round. And so this fight right here, I thought Akhmadali looked, looked pretty good in this fight. And I think that him and Stephen Coolboy Fulton, Coolboy Scuff, you know, that should be next. And that's a close fight. I mean, that's, that's a really good fight. I look forward to seeing that one. And we've been blessed this year to have so many unification matches that we'll have, uh, that we've had and are going to continue to have. And I think it's going to be another good one. Um, but that was a good win for him. And, you know, let's see where he goes from here. Yeah, that's a, that's a great breakdown. I was impressed with Akamagdalev also. I mean, I thought he felt, fought a very uh, disciplined fight too. I mean, he was using the jab. He was... Uh, moving around the ring. Uh, he had the body punching was on point. It was interesting because he was a shorter fighter, but he was fighting at a distance and being successful. You know, how like 
someone like uh, Pernell Whitaker was a short fighter fighting at distance, but he was more comfortable or, or even sometimes Pacquiao from long distance to mid range would be effective, you know, fighting at that range. Rios was the taller fighter, but, you know, he, he wasn't able to really use that distance like he wanted to. I, I, I might even think that Akhmadiyev have, have longer arms than, than uh, uh, Rios. Um, but Akhmadiyev, once he start, you know, land those, those, those straights, you know, the straight hands on Rios, I mean, I think it was around the third round. I think he start really just putting it on him. Um, Rios is trying to make something happen, but he, he just couldn't really – he couldn't really uh, – he couldn't really get it get off effectively. Uh, of course, Rios was hurt in the fourth round, uh, and I thought that Akhmadov would stop him around that time, but uh, he, but Rios made it out, and I think that's around the time uh, Akhmadov was was was. I mean, he was hurt. Uh, I think his hand was hurt. Maybe it might have been a, even earlier than that. That you know he couldn't throw that 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 left hand like he wanted to. Um, but it was a good performance by Akhmadiyev when, you know, stopping. I like that he, he, even though he, you know, he, he hurt his hand, that he was able to step on it and stop him in the 12th round when he could have just cruised to a decision. I mean, the fight was already won. He pretty much dominated the entire fight. Uh, Rios maybe won, maybe one round, two at the most, but probably one round. And Akhmadiyev, he didn't have to, you know, step on it like the way he did in the 12th round. But, I mean... Are you fighters take note? I mean, take notes. I mean, he didn't have to do it, but he he, he did it. The, the fans cheered. Uh, if you didn't know who Akhmadiyev was before last night, you have a, a, a idea. And I look forward to seeing him against uh, Cool Boy uh, Steph. I think that's going to be an interesting fight. Um, it's for all the marbles. So so again, a lot of uh, you know emotion into that fight. Even if that fight doesn't happen, I wouldn't mind saying. Uh, Akhmadiyev against uh, uh, Brandon Figueroa. You know, I think that would be an interesting fight also. Um, but I do think that that unification is going to happen next. Uh, it would definitely be an interesting fight. Anything else you have to share? Let's say Figueroa moved up, so he would have to go up there to fight. Yeah, well, he says he's moving up. I haven't – until that one fight happens where he's moving up, I still – you know, I rank him as a featherweight. I mean, as a, a, a super bantamweight. He can't wait wait. He barely made weight for uh, Cool Boy. Hey, he made the weight, and I bet you, I bet you, if Cool Boy said, "Oh, I give you a rematch," I bet you would made that weight again. Hey, that's what he said. He said he wouldn't do it because of the fact that he can't make weight and it's not worth it because he already beat him. He felt like he won, <laughs> you know. But I think that if he tried to get back down, you remember that picture you sent me, uh, Danny? You said, that's that's how I'd be looking if I try to get down. Well, trying to get down. <laughs> <Yeah>. 50 cent. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do for for Figueroa. But man, all I gotta say is this, man. I, you know, that was a good fight. That was cool and everything. But my boy, bam, boy, that's the new star. That's one of my favorites right now. He might be my favorite right now in boxing. Just the kahunas that he has, and just the fact that he's just such a natural. Like I say, you'll see um, Robert Garcia like talking to him and stuff like that. It seems like he's not paying attention. That's why I say he, he, he appears to be like kind of naive-ish to a little bit, to a certain degree, but it's like he catches on so quick and he's paying attention and listening even when you think he's not, you know? So that's a cool trait that he has as well. But man, shout out to my boy, man. Hey, bam, if you're listening, please send Will a poster, man, or something, man, an autograph yeah, mug, some gloves or something, man. Something. Give my man some love, man. I'm his number one supporter. I'm not a fan. <laughs> well, show your supporters some, some support. Yeah.
Nobody's fan. Okay, we about to get into some uh, predictions since we're done with these caps. So I know that next week will be a, probably a more quiet week in the sport of boxing. But on the, the week of July 9th, we got a, a featherweight bout that's going to be coming up. It's going to be an interesting one. We got Mark McSayo. Uh, He's going to be taking on Ray, Ray Vargas. Um, what are your thoughts on that and, and who you have winning this fight? Yeah, so McSayo, 24-0, 16 knockouts. He's 27, 5'6", 68-inch reach. He last beat Gary Russell Jr., in January of this year by majority decision for the WBC featherweight title. Um, so this is, that was Gary Russell Jr.'s only loss in his pro career. Uh, now Vargas, he's 35 and 0 with 22 knockouts. He's 31, 5, 10 and a half with his 70 and a half inch reach. And he last beat Leonardo Baez by unanimous decision in November of 2021. Now it's worth mentioning that Vargas, he started his career at Bantamweight and this is his second fight at featherweight. McSayo um, is a career featherweight and a pretty big one at that. Now, looking at these, their past two fights, what impressed me about Vargas' last fight against Baez was, although he was only two inches taller, he was still able to use his reach and was very good at getting in, getting his shots off, and getting out before Baez could land. And it's also worth mentioning that McSayo and Baez have identical reach. McSayo is four inches shorter than Vargas. Now, Gary Russell Jr. is a very good fighter, but in that fight, McSayo got the majority decision. But Russell basically only had one arm for the last seven rounds of that fight. And he was still relatively effective in some spots, even with one arm. Now, McSayo's strengths are his power and aggression, but he has to land in order for that power to have any effect. And he's going to have to do something with that aggression in order to win rounds. I say that because um, in the featherweight division, Ray Vargas is top five for punches thrown per round at 65 and a half per round. So, you know, if McSayo is to use aggression, but it's getting 65 punches thrown at him, you know, it depends on how aggressive McSayo is going to be. In those swing rounds, the judges still may favor vargas activity but i think this fight is going to come down to levels really and i think that looking at vargas i think he's a better class fighter than mixayo there's definitely a chance he can get clipped but i don't think vargas will allow that to happen and so i have vargas winning by unanimous decision yeah this is an interesting fight it's going to be a barn burner i have as a barn burner uh, like you said danny ray vargas he throws you know lots of punches He's a, you know, he's uh, a small guy, he's smaller than McSyle as far as, you know, density and, and, and the weight that he fights at. He's, a, he's taller and, and longer. Um, and also, he's, he, in some ways, he's built like uh, how Eric Morales used to be built when Eric Morales was at uh, uh, Super Banner weight. Um, so Ray Vargas could actually, you know, he, he can use that length, that wheel when he decides to. But the one thing that concerns me about Vargas sometimes, he squares up kind of like how uh, Sebastian Fedora does, where he's just pretty much in a square. He's not really using that length and having that lead hand out there. Um, but he also can bang. I mean, he's shown a, a strong chin to this point. Um, but he, he's definitely hittable. Uh, McSayo, a strong puncher with either hand. 
Um, you brought up the, the Gary Russell Jr. fight. Um, he did struggle with Gary Russell Jr., even though, you know, he won that fight. He, he struggled with a one-hand Russell, where one-hand Russell was making a miss and winning rounds off of uh, ring generalship. I don't think Vargas particularly fights that way. I think that the biggest thing that that, that would concern me about Mark Masayo is his fight with uh, Seha when he had to come back and win that fight, uh, even though he had Seha down but didn't finish him early, and Seha was able to put uh, Masayo down in that fight. Um, but then Masayo had to really come back and, and, and pretty much clip <laughs> clip uh, Seha and put him out. Um, so this fight is going to definitely be a, a bomb burner. I think that Vargas actually is the better boxer. He can fight off the, the, the back foot. Um, but it, it does concern me he doesn't use that length like he should. Um, but I'll pick, I think my pick is loser got to cut the hair on this one. And <laughs> they both got some weird hairs out. But I think what, what's going to happen in this fight, I, I do think that Vargas is going to outwork McSyle and give him a, a lot of, a ton of work for most of this fight. I say more than two thirds two-thirds of this fight. But I see McSayo coming back and clipping Vargas. He's going to clip Vargas with this, you know, Vargas like, you know, have his chin up. I think he's going to clip Vargas late in the fight, I say about the 10th the round. So I got McSayo winning this fight by 10th round knockout. Yes, sir. I love it, man. Oh, man, this is going to be a goodie right here. You know what I mean? You got the Pinoy versus Mexican. You know, it's going to be a classic, kind of like Pacquiao Marquez. Not that they fight like each other, but just the connections that you have. And you got people who are really fond of, of, of uh, Max Silo. You got people who are really fond of Ray Vargas. So it's going to be an interesting matchup on July 9th. Now, when you look at McSyle, you guys mentioned the fact that he got that title from Russell in um, January, where most of his fights were in the Philippines. You know, he got that, he made a big splash, you know, when he got the victory over, um, I want to say it's on the Ubis Manny card when he, when he knocked out Julio Seahaw. That was like KO of the year. And then you got Vargas. Uh, you mentioned the fact that he, just uh, defeated Leonardo Baez. He was a former champion, and he got his first belt in 2017. He had with a victory over Calvin uh, McDonald for the WBC belt that he defended five times. You know, one of those offenses was against Ronnie Rios. You know, this going to be boxer versus puncher. You got McSayo, who's the puncher. You got Vargas, who's the boxer. Um, I look at it like this, where when you look at each guy, the advantages that they're going to bring to the table, where Vargas, he, he does a really good job of keeping that distance, you know, fighting very technical from the outside, throws those straight punches, you know, fight smart, tall, rangy. And I think that he's going to try to use that strategy and then try to tie up McSyla as he gets close. And McSyla, on the other hand, he throws every punch with criminal intent. You know, he'll be on the hunt trying to cut off the ring and apply that pressure to throw those heavy shots that he likes to throw. Initially, I was going to lean towards Ray Vargas. Saw a few more highlights of him. And I just think that Ray, it's two things that he does that's a no-no against somebody like McSyle. McSyle is a very vicious puncher. I don't know if Ray Vargas has faced someone as vicious of a puncher and as mean 
as an Excel in his career. He's defeated some good some good guys now. Don't get me wrong. But I think Excel's a different animal. Um, he's one of those guys that you you damn I, I was gonna use a, 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 a four-letter word. He's one of those guys that you almost have to kill in order to defeat. So with that being said, and with his, his punching power, his speed, his accuracy, and the fact that Vargas, he leaves his chin in the air just a little bit too much for my liking. And then also, he's a little wide with his punches. So I think that at some point, McSyle is going to get in there and clip his chin. And I think that that's what's going to, you know, rule the day. And so I have McSyle late stoppage. 10th round, 11th round, but I'll say round 11, Mark McSayo with the victory over Ray Vargas. But should be an interesting, you know, it should be a good fight. Now, the last prediction that we had, we got a rematch of two guys who fought about five, six years ago. It was a split decision victory for Kubrat Pulev. Um, you have Derek Chisora and Kubrat Pulev will be fighting July 9th. Uh, who do you guys have winning this? So we got Derek Chisora, you know, coming to this fight. He's 32 and, and, and 12, 23 knockouts, coming off of some losses, which a pair of losses to Joseph Parker and Alexander Usyk. Uh, but he stood in there. He's tough, strong chin. Uh, he, yes, he's able to get stopped, but, I mean, he, he's as tough as they come. Uh, going against Kabrat Palev from Bulgaria. <laughs> 29 and two with 14 knockouts. In their last fight, it was a split decision where Pulev won, won this fight. I didn't extensively break this fight down, but I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to say that Pulev wins this fight by decision. I don't think he's going to stop Chisora this time either. But I think it's going to be a clearer decision. It'll be a unanimous decision. Yeah, this is an interesting fight. Um, Chisora, to me, I like him. You know, it's just a lot of times he just doesn't win these fights, you know, against like name opponents that often, you know, from time to time he will. And as you stated, he's coming off of two fights against Joseph Parker. I think the fight that he had last time, he was down three times um, in that fight against Parker. I think that was a fight that he was also eating burgers with Parker afterwards or whatever. And I was hoping to see Chisora let it go after that once he took such a beating. And Pulev coming off that Jerry Forrest victory, which was probably like a month ago, you know, so he's going to be fine-tuned. He looked pretty good against uh, Jerry Forrest to me. And that was followed by that loss that he had against uh, Anthony Joshua in the ninth round. But he should be fine-tuned going into this one. And as you mentioned, the fight that took place in 2016, although it was a split decision, victory for Pulev. I thought it shouldn't have been a split decision because based on what I remember, I just remember Pulev being able to kind of like use his jab and follow up, you know, with the right, you know, and he was kind of doing that all night. And then when Chisora would get close, he kind of smothered him. It's just the way their styles are and the way they fight. To me, Pulev was always going to have an advantage, but you always got to be leery of the right hand that Chisora is going to throw. But just if you look at him, just the way they match up, is, is just advantage uh, Pulev. Um, but you never know which Chisora is going to show up. You know what I mean? He, he's, he's better than he was, I think, six years ago. But then also, he might be a little bit on the downside of even, you know, being at his best. You know, so 
who knows, you know, when it, when it comes to that. And like I said, I like to serve. He's one of those guys who wants all the smoke. He has a lot of antics that he used inside and outside the ring. You know, he doesn't care if he loses. You know, he might be in a ring and kiss you. He might spit on you. You know what I mean? He just never know with this guy. So he's an interesting, interesting bloke. Um, now, as far as what advantages these guys that I have, you know, as far as the youth, Chisor is a little bit younger. You know, he uh, has, I would say, more power. He's a little bit slower. Um, he's a better body puncher, you know. And like I said, with that power is typically with that right hand and his uppercut. As far as um, Pulev, you know, he has advantages in reach, speed, I think, that he's, he's faster. And then he's going to be more active, you know, as far as, like, fighting. He just fought Jerry Forge. And he has the better boxing skills, slightly better footwork, and um, more accurate. I think he's better defensively. And I think that he'll be first in this fight. So I can't see Chisora winning unless he just lands something huge, which is, is going to be his game plan, because that's what he does. So if factoring all of those things, taking all those things into consideration, I have to say Kubert Pulev, 12-round uh, unanimous decision this time. Like you guys have said, they previously fought in 2016. Uh, since then, Pulev has went 6-1. and one. He lost by the knockout to AJ. Chisora has went 7-6. and six. And although he's only gotten stopped once during that time by Dillian White in 2018, he was knocked down three times in that Joseph Parker rematch. And it's taken a lot of punishment in his career in general. Uh, with both of them being older now, I think the big question is how much does either fighter have left? Uh, neither of their recent fights were super entertaining from a fan perspective, but I do think that, I mean, obviously based on a result, Pulev had a better showing than in his previous fight than Chisora did in his. Um, I think that, you know, without going too into the technical details of it, I think when it comes down to it, Pulev is going to land the more effective shots and Chisora will be looking for the big shot, but won't be able to do enough to win rounds. And so I agree with you guys. I think he's going to win this by unanimous decision. Uh, you guys have anything else on this one? No, I think it's a good fight for both guys at this stage of their careers. And hopefully, if, especially, especially Chisor, but even Pulev at 41, if you, you can't beat Chisor at this stage, and Chisor, based on all the punishment that you've taken, you know, you can't beat Pulev, then I think it's time to hang up. Agree. All right, this week we want to end with uh, a few current events that's going on in the sport of boxing. we got five topics here, fellas, that uh, hopefully you'll sit back and uh, discuss with me. And the first topic here is going to be Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall set for September 10th at the O2 Arena in London. How much of an advantage does this give Marshall and will it ultimately impact the outcome of the fight? I mean, from a home court advantage, home field advantage, I think it does give Savannah Marshall an event, you know, uh, a, a big boost. Uh, but also we got to look at, you know, the, the fight with we just saw with uh, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Uh, a lot of people thought that uh, Serrano was robbed. Uh, I didn't think so. I thought it was a close fight and I could see the case for Katie Taylor winning uh, a split decision. Uh, but in these type of fights, yeah, you know, when you're fighting somebody's hometown, uh, you got to worry about judges. Um, and, and, and this is a particular type of fight that I don't, I'm not sure if I see a, a, a knockout happening 
if, if it's going to be Clarissa Shields winning, she, she's going to win by decision if she if she wins this fight. Uh, so it'll be very reliant on the on the judges for her. But I also think that um, even though this could be a, a mental advantage, I think for 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 uh, Marshall, I think in some ways it's a mental advantage for Clarissa Shields also because she's comfortable being that underdog. She's comfortable being that. But if she got to be the bad guy, she will. You know, she's she's very comfortable trying to prove people wrong. And when you look at her, how how she's been fighting, she hasn't been winning. She hasn't been losing rounds. Like she doesn't lose rounds. So uh, I don't. I'm not. Even though it does provide advantage for, for Marshall, if Clarissa Shields does what she does, I'm not sure if it'll be a factor. Yeah, my short answer was going to be. It has about the same effect as it did when Devin Haney went to Australia. You know what I mean? Like, I think if she was going to win, it was going to be by a convincing unanimous decision anyway, to the point where the judges wouldn't be able to dispute that, you know? And so in short, I don't think it's going to have a huge effect. And I think that Shields are probably thriving it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that it, it could go either way, right? Where it's, it should help Marshall because you're going to get that battery in your back by having, you know, most of your fans there. But also, if you are somebody who gets motivated by a fan that's booing, like booing against you, I shouldn't say booing against you, that's what they're doing. Um, if you have a fighter who likes to be booed, you know, and that gives them energy and like more energy to prove them wrong, you know, then I think that that could help Shields as well. So, you know, it could go either way. Now, one thing I do agree with you, Danny, as far as this being more reminiscent to Haney and Cambosis. And what I'm, what I would think is that Shields just has to make it decisive. Like it just has to be a decisive victory. And I think that if she's gonna win, it's gonna be that way anyway. I tend to disagree with Juvel because when you use the Katie Taylor Serrano analogy, I don't think that that's, I think that's apples to oranges. And the reason I'm saying that is because you have a white lady going against a Hispanic lady. And I think that, and then also I think that Katie Taylor has more support like in boxing that anything that's gonna be close that she's gonna get the benefit of the doubt. So I don't think it would be like that and think it'd be more so like that behavior. But she just has to make it decisive. And to me, I'm just looking to see this. Now, if they can cheat all they want to, if that's, that's what they're going to do. And I think that, I hope that they won't. But I'm personally just looking to see who actually wins the fight. And that's all that I need to see, you know. But they got to, it's looking like it's going to be a multi-fight deal. So we'll see where the second goes. Now, anything else you guys have on it? All right, so the next question, Demetrius Dovo and Joshua Bawasi are close to uh, making a deal for September or October in the UK. And what are your thoughts on Dovo making his first defense since beating Canelo against the largely untested Bawasi? In the sense that the typical, you know, pace with boxers at that level is to fight a big fight and then fight a tune-up and fight a big fight. And also in the sense that maybe this plus the better BF and yard fight will increase the UK fan base for in theory, both fighters and sets up an undisputed fight, hopefully sometime next year. I'm not mad at it. Um, but I think it's early for Boatsy to be taking on this kind of fight. 
and I'm curious as to why they're throwing him in there for this, but in a sense that, you know, he's still a top 10 light heavyweight and is not a bad quote unquote tune up fight. I'm not super mad at it. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the UK, they got some global fans, you know, but this, this is going to be good for them because you got a good fighter. Well, not Boats. I'm not talking about Boats. I'm saying that if they're using this as a springboard to potentially have a better beef and double fight there because better beef should be fighting or he's going to be fighting um, there also, then it's good because then you, you have both guys showcasing their skills and then they can go ahead and fight against each other. So from that standpoint, I think that is good. And also it's an easy match to make where match room, the zone, they can keep the money in house because it's very easy fights to make because they all are under the same umbrella. So I think it's a win-win situation. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, you know, uh, he's coming off his win over Canelo and I think he deserves a fight where, you know, this is not a gimme fight, you know, even though he's pretty much the favorite, it's not necessarily a gimme and he can make some money uh, while, you know, building up a fight with, uh, with uh, Bitterbeam. But on the other hand, I, you know, as a fan, as a boxing fan, I only see one fight out there. And, and if Bitterbeam and, and Bibble would have been made this year, just think about that. You would have a Bitterbeam Bibble, you would have, a possibly a Crawford Spence, and you have a, a, a Fulton Akhmadalov. And that's like three unification. And we've already, you just had uh, Charlo uh, Casimiro. So that would be four unification bouts in one year. This would, this would have probably been up there for one of the best years in boxing. And for, for that to happen in the last, you know, 10 years would have been very, very impressive. Um, but we know that fight is eventually going to happen. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not mad at it. It just, it would have been significant if it would have happened this year. Yeah, it, it would have been significant. Um, but yeah, looking at it from that economic standpoint, if, if both guys, you know, come through, then that's going to be good for both of them as well because they can make, they can patent their um, pay, you know, their, their bank accounts, you know, with another payday. Because I think that should be good, good money out there in the UK. And then they can, you know, kind of, you know, look forward to that huge matchup with each other. So that's two guaranteed good paydays for two guys who typically, you know, don't have the opportunity to make that type of money. Although Bill will probably make pretty good against Canelo, but better be, that's, that's especially at this stage of his career. But the other thing, Bill, what I was going to say, that I think um, Bill Bolasic, that's about is – the odds of him losing is, is, is a kicker missing the extra point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not talking about the extended extra point. I'm talking about the one that's like right there at the two. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't see right now at this stage of Boston's career, he's going to be eating that jab, those one-twos, and, and all of those stuff. He's too wild. You know what I mean? And, and Bill was just too crafty, too um, much of a machine for somebody at that stage of his career. Now, question number three. Tim Zhu, he wants to smoke with Jamel Charlo um, next. And so Eddie Hearn, he said he thinks that they're moving him a little too fast. What are your thoughts on Tim Zuzer? Are they moving him too fast, too quickly? I would think they would be moving him too quickly only if Tim Zoo wasn't 20, like 27, almost 28 years old. 
I mean, for somebody like that at that age, it's like, you know, in, in boxing, he, he kind of going to be what he's going to be. It's not too much, unless he's going to be some Bernard Hopkins, it's not too much he's going to develop, you know, in the next few years. Uh, but I would, I also would say that going from Terrell Goucher to like Jamel Charlo is a, is a pretty big step, big step. If I were, if I were him, I would take just one fight just between Goucher and Charlo. I think that would be the wise thing to do just to get him, you know, get him prepared because especially considering what we've seen in, you know, in the last few fights that he's had, he, Tim Zhu could be caught and, Jamel Charlo is, is, is probably one of the best finishers in the game today. So that's not going to look good for Zoo. But at the same time, he is what he is. I mean, how better are you going to make him in the next few years? I mean, so, hey, go for it. If you're going to get knocked out, you get knocked out. It's the game. You know, you, you, Tommy Hearns went for Sugar Ray Leonard at 22. So, you know, the dude's almost 28. I say that in a sport where one fight can either drastically change your trajectory or drastically change your life, yes, they are moving him too fast. But to be clear, the they here is really the WBO for making him the number one contender and ordering that fight. You know what I mean? And so although he has 22 pro fights, I agree, Vel, too, that I hardly think that Goucher is the person you want to fight right before going into a Jamila Charlo fight. Um, I would personally rather see Fandora fight him, but if Zoo has been granted the opportunity and he genuinely believes he can beat him, I can't fault him for taking it either. Yeah, um, on one side, I look at this two ways, right? One side of me thinks that this is similar to Junior, you know, when we say, Mama used to say, take your time, young man. I thought she was gonna come in there. But that's that's one side. Mama used to say, Don't you rush to get old? Mama used to say. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Now, one side of me believes that, right? That they're they're, they're pushing them too fast. But I kind of tend to think the way you think, Bill, because the other side of me is thinking that I don't see his ceiling being that high. You know what I mean? So you might be better off now having him face somebody like a Jermail Charlo before somebody else beat him. And then he'll never get that opportunity again. So just go ahead all in one swoop, you know, see if you can go ahead and pull off the miracle if you can't. And, you know, you get demolished. And, you know, you might want to choose, you know, a different direction to go with your career, you know. So that those are two ways that I see it. But I, I think that they might as well take the opportunity if this is something that he said that he wants to do because he's not going to get much better um, based on what I've seen. I think that he's so vulnerable that you put him in there against somebody like Tony Harrison, um, you know, one of those guys, I think that they might be too much for Tenzu. Now, the last question that we have is this, or the last uh, topic that we want to discuss in the news is this past week, Jay Paul and Amanda Serrano, they have... Um, set up where they're going to headline bouts for August 6th at the MSG. Uh, you got Jake Paul, he'll face Tommy Fury, and Amanda Serrano is going to take on Brenda Carvajal. Uh, what do you think about this event? As it pertains to Serrano, I can't really fault her for taking an easier fight that she's still going to get paid nicely for. You know, like, you know, we all have who we want to see, but 
we don't know what saw that play and what's going on behind the scenes behind that. So for what it is, I'm not mad at it. It's going to be a good co-main. Uh, as for Paul, I think that this is the fight that people have been wanting him to fight in sense of not so much Fury, but just to fight a legitimate professional boxer. Uh, Fury just happens to be the name behind it. And I think that, and maybe this is a question I could pose to you guys, but do you think this establishes him as a legitimate boxer if he wins this fight? You know, because in short, I think it does, but legitimate is also subjective. But that's all I have for, for now. Yeah, it, when it comes to, to uh, Jake Paul, no matter what he does with the experience he has, it'll be hard for him to be accepted as a boxer because he's his his fame supersedes where he's at in it will be in his career. Someone like him in his career would probably be, you know, uh, pretty much at the beginning of their career. They're at the start of their career. So they're fighting, you know, those type, those uh, Tommy Fury type fights. Uh, but he's so famous that you have people who think he's more than what he is, or you have people who look at it like, oh, this is a YouTuber, you know, well, really you, just, you have to strip away all the fame and all that and just look at where he's really at as a, as a, as a fighter. Um, but I'm not thrilled to see either of those fights. You know, of course I want to see Serrano uh, Taylor. And I think that something may have happened in that fight or she may have sent something where she doesn't want to go right into a Katie Taylor fight, even though I think that that would would have been the best thing because if watching the fight, I think that Taylor is, is like there for her to be took if Serrano could really step on it the second time around. But I mean, eventually we'll, I believe we'll get that rematch. So um, no worries there. Yeah, I don't really um, have too much to say. I just answered your question today. I think that this is the most legitimate fight that he's had because all the other guys that he's faced, you know, even with Woodley. They don't, when, when, they, when they're in the ring with Paul, they don't even look like boxers. You know what I mean? They just look like guys who may potentially be able to catch him with something. But as far as the skill of being just a straight up boxer who doesn't do something else, this would be the first guy that will pose that type of threat. Now, he's a novice, you know, they're both pretty much similar, you know, as far as their where they are in their careers. So, but it's just gonna be interesting to see if Jake Paul can utilize some type of strategy in order to be able to clip Fury. And if Fury's gonna be able to have a, a, enough know-how to stay away from that right hand for however many rounds that they're gonna fight. But it should be interesting. Um, and it's the most interesting fight that I think that he will have faced in his young career. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up? Not necessarily on a boxing note, but um, I believe he listens to this sometimes. So my Muay Thai coach, I, I just wanted to congratulate him. On Saturday, he had a fight out in Aruba. So he flew out there and got the second round Stop it. So congratulations to the Slim Reaper. Shout out to the Slim Reaper. Rock, man, he out there putting in that work. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like Bam did yesterday. That's my boy right there. <laughs> Congrats to the Slim Reaper. <laughs> Congrats to Bam. Congrats to everybody who's been listening. And then just be on the lookout next week. We got something special for you. You know, you got a lot of boxing that's been taking place. You know, you had a, I don't necessarily even say upsets, but you have guys who 
updated their resumes. You know what I mean? You got people like Jamel Charlo, you know, you got people like Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson, I'm saying that people who could potentially, Bam Rodriguez, who might be on these pound for pound lists. So we are composing our list. And the next time that you will hear from us, we're going to give you our top 10 pound for pound fighters. And we're going to use that, that criteria. We, we try to be objective as possible. When we look at things like a fighter's, uh, you know, their abilities, you know what I mean? Eye test. We're going to be looking at, at, at their accomplishments. You know what I'm saying? We're going to be looking at whether or not they, they, uh, duck smoke, you know what I'm saying? And we're going to also be looking at a few other things, but all in all, it's going to be an objective, non-subjective list of fighters that we're going to choose for our top 10 pound for pound. That should be coming out the week of the 4th of July. But outside of that, you know what I mean? Good show, fellas. You know what I mean? Shout out to Bam once again. Get me out. Peace. And them posters, Bam. Peace. Peace. <laughs>